Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, we've got Jeremy Jones back on Gear 30, and this time he brought along with him Xavier Nidecker, who is, among other things, the global brand director of Jones Snowboards. And Jeremy and Xavier are here to talk about Jones's new re-up technology. So what is re-up tech and why does it matter? Well, why it matters is that over just the last 25 years, there have been millions of skis and snowboards that have been produced, and the vast majority of those skis and boards either end up in landfills or get incinerated. And with ReUpTech, Jones is now able to recycle snowboards and the collected materials to be used to make brand new boards. And we think this represents a very interesting first step in production design and could take us another step closer to circular manufacturing. So in this conversation, Jeremy and Xavier flesh out more of the details of this ReUpTech we discuss its future and where they would like to see it go. Then we have a much broader conversation about climate change and the roles and responsibilities of those of us who just love snow sports, those of us who are manufacturing snow sports gear, and those of us who are in the snow sports media. So there is a lot of food for thought in this conversation, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. Oh, and given that we are talking a whole lot about snowboards in this conversation, I wanted to give our Gear 30 family a bit of an update. You all really answered the call this past week, and we are now something like a mere 75 ratings and reviews away from getting me on a snowboard. I am excited. I can't wait to shoot the video of my first turns on a board so that all of you can either get to see me look like probably a baby giraffe or maybe just a broken human being. I don't know, but I am so confident that you all are going to get us to that 750 reviews in Apple Podcasts that I also, at the end of our conversation, ask Jeremy and Xavier about which Jones board they would suggest I get on. So anyway, thanks to all of you who have taken a minute to leave a rating and I am very much looking forward to what will be my first winter of both skiing and boarding. Amazing. This episode of Gear 30 is presented by Open Snow, which is your one-stop shop for all of the essential weather tools. You can view 10-day weather forecasts for any location on Earth, read expert local analysis from their team of local forecasters, track active fires with perimeter, hotspot, and smoke forecast maps, avoid lightning with live and forecast radar, compare recent conditions and forecasts at your favorite locations, and much more. So try Open Snow today by visiting opensnow.com blister, and if you do that, you will receive a free trial through January 31st with no credit card required. That's opensnow.com slash blister, and we will include that link in the show notes of this episode. And with that, 
Let's talk to Jeremy Jones and Xavier Neidecker. Here we go. Well, I am very happy to be here with Jeremy and Xavier. Xavier, we're going to put the first question to you. What is this Reup Tech? Uh, absolutely, thank you. So, Reup Tech is a world first snowboard recycling program where we collect dead snowboards from the market and reuse them uh, to, uh, to, to create stringers that we repurpose on our snowboards um, directly. It's pretty good, pretty succinct. Jeremy, <laughs> when did conversations about this re-up tech start to take place? Oh, God. I mean, I think the the dream of taking old snowboards and turning them into new ones has been there for as long as I can remember. Um, yeah, I mean, that circularity in a product cycle is uh, is really the ultimate that we strive for in everything we do. And um, but it, you know, how to make that happen, that is out of my, you know, I am not an expert on that. And that's why it's been so great to work with Xavier on this. Uh, let me just say, I, I think you're what you just said about circularity being the dream Absolutely. And this notion of circularity, I'm trying to think about when that really got into the sort of public conversation. And God, I mean, it, it, I don't know, 20, 30 years, maybe something like that. And, and it continues, uh, obviously to be a thing that many manufacturers would like to move toward. But here we are with an example of another step forward perhaps um so pretty cool to be not just having a conversation about isn't circularity an interesting dream but another maybe step forward i think it's for sure for sure dream i think we have tech answer but on your part uh, um of this question it really uh we have tech really came uh maybe 2019 2018 where we did uh we a life cycle assessment Mm -hmm. um so we measured um, all our uh, all our snowboarding production from sourcing raw materials, manufacturing, and uh, and we did calculate the end of life. Uh, and this is where we really question ourselves uh, of what happened to a, a dead snowboard. Uh, um, and we calculated this footprint, and then we also um, brainstormed about the the whole industry. Where today we also know that about one million snowboards uh, have been produced since you know 1995, uh, 1995 which is 28 years. Uh, so we really questioned where do they go, um, uh, and from that question we really asked ourselves uh, what we could do better. So we started to do blogs um, to to see how we could upcycle them and educate the consumer to do bench skates, anything, try to repair them, resell them, um, and then internally at the R and D department we really tried to uh, to uh, to find cool way to uh, to re- to uh, try to recycle it. So let's start breaking this down a bit. Um, I have a snowboard. Actually, I don't yet, but as you all know, we <laughs> talked about it this winter. This is my, this is my year. But, um, somebody who's been riding for a while, say they've been on a board for five or six years, uh, they're ready for something new. Can you walk us through a bit from, from that person's, that rider's point of view? What would this look like to start entering this re-up tech ecosystem? Um, for sure. So I would say 
First of all, uh, he should repair it, try to keep it on the snow. I think that's the ultimate goal. Um, then I think uh, maybe he can resell it if you if you don't want. And ultimately, if uh, if the consumer will think it has zero value, and then that it and the board is is uh, is ready to go to trash. The goal is uh, is for us that the consumer bring it to a to a shop, and uh, we are opening um, um, uh, partners that will uh, that will take uh, we have tech um, snowboards such as Evo and other shops in the US, and 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 they will collect those snowboards uh, locally. We also do um, they can also they can also ship it back to uh, to uh, to us directly, but um, the partners would be uh, more efficient. Once we have all the snowboards. Um, uh, we ship them in bulk in, uh, in a, at our factory, and there at our, our factory we have a specific process to uh, to uh, um, repurpose them. So how does it work? I can get you uh, <laughs> done to it. So uh, first step, um, we uh, we clean it. So we we lightly sand the top and the base. This is made really to uh, erase everything we don't know, which is oil, stickers, dirt, anything. Uh, once this is done, we take out the steel edge and the insert because this we can simply send to our recycle partner and this can be uh, recycled at plus 99% um, uh, today. And then what we have uh, is, uh, is a snowboard without steel edge um, and materials we know. You know, to today, a snowboard in the snowboard industry use typical materials such as wood cores, which is mostly poplar and polonia, uh, fiberglass. Must have it uh, by X or Triax, so we really know what we use and we inspect that. Um, once we know, we 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 put six boards together, stack it, press it uh, with water-based glue, and this get get us a block um, of six snowboards glued together. And there we cut it vertically, so we slice it, and this creates a stringer. And this stringer has everything: it has the base, the side roll. It has the wood core fiberglass. And what is very interesting about the stringers is that the fiberglass comes at 90 degrees. And this is what creates performance out of the stringer. So to, uh, to mimic that, um, simply take a ruler or anything at, at uh, flat, and you can bend it very easily, the ruler, because it's flat and this is the fiberglass. Now, if you take this ruler at 90 degrees and try to bend it, it's almost impossible. Uh, just because the strength at 90 degrees as a wall creates this major stiffness. Um, and this is what we create with the React processor. And we insert these stringers. Um, you know, it was a big development, so we inserted on the nose, on the tail, under the bindings, uh, at different placements. And today we use it on the Hovercraft 2.0, uh, on the nose. And, this, and we were able to eliminate all carbon stringers from the hovercraft just by replacing the re-up and, um, and it has better performance compared to what we had in the past. Jeremy, your turn. De <laughs> define better performance out of the hovercraft 2.0. What is that? What does that mean? What does that look like? And, or what does that feel like? Well, I mean, the hovercraft 2.0 is a completely redesigned board, every aspect of it, but specifically what's exciting I mean, the, the shape and everything, it kind of utilize, it's our, it's like every board you make, you learn something. And so inevitably the, the latest one, um, embraces your new findings. But 
with the reup, what's so exciting is that sure we're taking old boards and making them new, but we're actually making the the how we're using it as he explained um, works better than virgin material, and so that's what's super exciting and something we are just now starting to understand the best way to utilize this really powerful kind of material layout. So help, I, I, I haven't had enough coffee today, I think, but help me understand this better can mean you like the feel, the on snow performance of the product better. Better can mean it's better from a simplifying a manufacturing process. Better can mean it's better durability. Again, forgive me. Yeah, so I'm talking um, durability and performance um, in that sense. Because the reality, I mean, we've said it all, you know, for us, it's um, kind of our three pillars have been, you know, performance, durability, sustainability. Having something that's more sustainable or more responsibly made that isn't as good or doesn't last is you need all three of those to root to hit that um that sweet spot yeah the big one about uh, about those triggers is that it stiffens the nose which makes it more touchless stiffness more and more responsive and what we found uh, you know by testing all those new shapes with very big nose uh that uh, to get volume uh they get soft um just because of the volume and they and they flap so this is why on the surf series, we added carbon triggers um, and we add more and more of stiffness everywhere on the nose just because they get so much big volume. And today with the Reuptech, as we can place it and get this 5 at 90 degree, uh, it really stiffen all the nose. So we can even add more lighter wood core around it just because this will make the, the, the stiffness of the nose. Gotcha. That's what I was saying. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Less chatter uh, or yes. less flap in the nose. Um, yeah. It's less flap. Is, and then under the bindings, we also know is a really, uh, that's a high wear point, ton of pressure there. So that's an example of, um, we really focus on that, you know, and that's where the bindings can, and your feet connect and drive energy to the edge so that's a really like a power point on a board so to be able to strengthen that um in the same manner is a big gotcha xavier and we we tested this at the lab so we have different equipment where we can um do three-point testing uh on the board only the nose only the tail we can also do a testing with uh stiffness and uh, and we've really seen um uh, better numbers, which which means more uh, stiffer and more responsive compared to a standard uh, snowboard. So uh, this was both in test, uh, in field testing and also in the lab. Got it. Hey, before we dive back into some of the real technical elements of this, I want to go back. Y you already covered this, but we it moved pretty quick. And I think it's a really important part of this is actually the collection the collection side of this, right? And so coming back to, if I'm the rider and I, it's time to retire a board, you, you said you are working with certain retail partners, retail centers, where I could take the board and go return it there, 
yeah, do, I, I want to make sure we get this right. Because if some of these systems, and we've seen this in the past, by the way, this is a lot of just what's called American recycling, right? We're all putting our little stuff out by the curb, and it's still a big question mark in a lot of places of where that product's actually going and what's happening to it and the rest. And so anyway, that's maybe a reason why I want to make sure that we get real clear on this element of it. So there are some retail partners, recycle centers, we could say both retail partners and recycle centers, I guess, where a rider can take the board. Yeah. Yes, correct. And, and we take almost any board. So we take demo boards, we take rental, we take factory third, we take warranty boards everything so uh, so uh, the technology was really made to take almost every snowboard that was created um, um and 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 they can bring it to the to those partners or online at uh, jones.com okay now let's talk about the other part which is a uh, a rider can ship their board in as well and then say that part again um exactly so uh, a consumer in the US or specific countries in Europe, can go online on johnstonboards.com, connect to the Reuptake page, and uh, they can, for free, um, uh, ship back their snowboards to our warehouse. Um, um, so yeah, they can just submit it on our website. For free? For free. And they will also take um, an incentive as a take-back program of uh, $50. We do this, so yes, we do this for free. Um, and the Hovercraft 2.0 also is not more expensive compared to the past. We really try to incentive mm. all this technology to really try to grow it and learn with it. So uh, we, we absorb all the cost of it uh, to make it happen though. And what, what's up with the 50 bucks? So <laughs> it's a classic take back program uh, as you could see in, on other industries. So today as we create value, value has money. So today we can, uh, uh, we can give back to the consumer um, um, uh, we share fifty dollars uh, for a new snowboard. That was the coolest pronunciation of the word voucher I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> yeah, we're, we are far less classy here in America. Uh, Vouchier. Yeah, yeah. That's how I, I'm never saying it the old way ever again. That's pretty good. So, but it's a, it's not a, it's a fifty dollar credit that would go to a new to a new board. Exactly. Yes. Okay, and then I would add um, also if it, we actually haven't had much of this scenario, but if there was a chance where um, if a board came back and we go, "Wow, this thing's got life in it," we want to we'll get that board back on the mountain because I do you know we want the stuff. We're not going to take um, someone's perfectly usable board, uh -huh. and and, uh, and we were more con concerned about that as we're early into it the reality is the stuff we've been getting back is you know done um but <laughs> yeah. yes <laughs> which is perfect and, and what we want by the way jeremy i wonder if this might be a fair generalization kind of snowboarders versus skiers right skiers we're we're prissy people we're like oh i rode that but i it's time to like Re up my outfit, you know. I got, I bought a new, I bought a new jacket. I need my skis to match that now. Whereas borders are like, we use the hell out of this thing. This my this as I'm as I'm now, as you know, navigating the whole skier snowboarder world. 
uh, I, that might actually be one of those generalizations that that kind of holds more true than not. I can't speak to that. Uh, <laughs> 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 but yeah, I honestly, I, I that's something I haven't given thought to. But yes, the snowboards are. Um, yeah, we we seem to have a knack for finding rocks and mm-hmm. even, you know the bore yeah so that hasn't been an issue but it is what is crazy and just worth mentioning um and it's not talked about is and we're just talking snowboards which yeah. we estimate a million a year um are produced and then you add you know skiing's what 10 20 x of that huh. uh and so that's a really sobering thought and we know uh for example in europe of uh, the majority of that stuff is burned um so the toxins from that is really significant so this is um we don't have a end of life say carbon um footprint of a product but it's it's not it's it's bad you know it's a kind of a dirty secret of that there is a you can imagine the amount of skis and snowboards um being discarded every year and and with that where they go and how they're handled let's talk a bit more about the tech here um this is a new technology a new system to be able to repurpose old boards turn them into stringers for the moment why did this development happen now and what enabled this? Who invented this? Tell us more about that. It started really with LCA where we really questioned ourselves. Um, and then we, we had, uh, we have tested an epoxy back in the time, which was called Recyclamine, where you were able to, um, make build the snowboards with this specific epoxy and then add this to a chemical bath and it will deconstruct the snowboards and separate all the layers. And we thought we found that the best way possible, but <laughs> at the end of the day, all the separate, all the separated layers had zero value. And, and we had to find a way how to sell it to other industries. And we were like, we don't know other industries. So the whole goal was to create value on our own industry and where we are experts. So the whole goal was to have now destruct the snowboard and rebuild the snowboard because we know how snowboard industry work. We know we have the quantities. We know how it's made. So this is how it really started. And uh, the whole, this whole thing was with the partnership of SWS uh, with their engineers, uh, John Calvin and, uh, and George. And uh, all together, um, we, it was baby steps and, uh, and we, find, uh, we find a way to, uh, to, uh, to make it happen. How long have y'all been working on this? Uh, you know, it, about four years. Uh, yeah, four years. But it was, uh, uh, you know, today this as as big. It is uh, 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 amazing that we found this. I think the biggest one today where we face is really to collect snowboards, um, and this is where we are today. Um, last year we collected about one thousand snowboards um, from shops already. Uh, but it is not enough uh, um, from what we really want to do to add it on more snowboards at different places. So this is where we struggle today and where we really um, want to do everything possible to make it happen from 
shops, rental partners, and also consumer. And you know, the real goal is to take skis and turn them into snowboards. Yes, that's the real goal. (laughs) (laughs) All those years, all those years of skiers being like, get off our mountain. All skis are just turned into snowboards, and, and it's like, yeah, who gets the last laugh? See, I'm I'm just future proofing my own time on snow because I'm like, I see what y'all are up to. I see what y'all are up to, and and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get on the the right side of history on this. No, and and all on a you know seriousness though. I mean, it is a technology that would work on skis, and and we're not. Um, we would love it if, you know, ski manufacturing embraced the same thing. Hmm. So what happens, it's year two, you got a thousand boards, collected a thousand boards last year. What happens if this goes to 50,000 boards? Are, and, and I know we're taking relatively large uh, products and we're talking about turning them into stringers, relatively small products. So how does this work from a from a volume point of view, are you like, dude, we actually need 50,000 boards to keep up with demand, right? And for as many stringers as we can, um, you know, upcycle boards into? Tell us a little bit about what that landscape looks like. Um, I think for sure it's a, it's a first a, a learning curve. But yes, we, we want to get 50K because it also means it's 50,000 snowboards that you not get in the landfill or burnt. Um, and today, the technology is made to, uh, to scale up quickly. And um, if we get 50,000 or even more, then we will, of course, open this to other brands, to other factories, uh, to really... This is not made for only drones. I think it's really made for the snowboard industry. Uh, and this was also a, a big goal. Uh, today, for sure, we cannot open it directly because it's still a learning curve and, and, uh, and smaller pieces. But for sure, ultimately, the goal is that uh, uh, this goes bigger and bigger and yes today we only use it on the string on the nose um, but all the prototypes was made with the string on the nose and under the bindings it can be used other ways we have we have ideas to use it even more uh, but today all our focus is on on the supply and uh, because without supply there is no reuptake so in that regard if you guys got a million snowboards back what I think I heard you say is, and effectively, you are becoming a stringer manufacturer or a larger stringer manufacturer. And those stringers can then, you can talk to other companies, gauge their interest. That's how this might work. And that's, I think, why they're, my initial question started with how many boards is too many to where you now are just stacking you know, dead boards somewhere, but there's maybe not really an answer or there's not really a number where it's too many boards. You just keep producing these stringers that can go into Jones snowboards or other other companies' boards as well. Um, I would answer where, you know, the 1 million snowboards would not come to us. I think uh, if this is in 1 million snowboards, we, we speak in 10 years maybe. So maybe half of it would go to the ski industry where where we, we would, uh, we would uh, partner with uh, any scree brands to uh, to make it happen. So today the goal is, uh, I think we can use it more. The more we use and the more we do it, the more we, we will learn. And uh, and I think it's a it's a possible way where it, it can really take uh, take it bigger. When we are back to like a single board, right? 
you guys get a board in. This goes into your re-up blender or however I'm imagining this thing like to, to chop it all up. How much of that old board is actually going into a new stringer? So we don't actually uh, chop it. As you can see here, uh, here behind me, uh, uh, you do have all the wood cores, all the base, all the fiberglass. It is not chopped uh, up. Right. You've said and that. This it's is cake. It's not blender, it's the, not a blender analogy. It's a cake analogy. Exactly. I, I, I'm, a a simple person. I'm a simple person. I'm a simple person. Sorry. I think, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, well, it's, then, it's a cake um, And we're also able to use the edges and the inserts. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I don't, it's something like 90%. So today, today we, it's about 95%. So the steel edge and, and the inserts go to the, recycle partner and then the only thing we really we really lose is the end of the tip and tail of custom shapes where this is just too small to use uh, but all the rest we use because it's a cake <laughs> it's a cake exactly it's not a blender yeah we're not we're not blending no it's not a no no exactly this is not the first time we've heard um a company in the snow sports world talk about recycling and recycling programs. Can you talk a little bit about some of those older programs that some of us have heard about? And this one, I mean, I think you've done a really nice job talking about this particular program, but just to help people understand about what this looks like now and what your the, the potential of this versus what we've kind of been doing in the past uh, with respect to recycling programs. Um, I'm not sure on which recycling programs you speak because when we did our end of life, I mean, every snow snowboards ended in the landfill or burnt. Uh, so I, I know in, in Europe, uh, uh, what we do is that uh, um, we chop, we, we, uh, we chop it um, and then they can take the steel uh, apart, but then the rest is burnt. Uh, um, and so I'm not sure which okay. recycle snowballs you speak here fair enough and and what i what i what came to mind for me was specifically thinking about ski boots and certain manufacturers are working with using recycled plastics right and getting those into boots so like that would be but that's still a, a pretty recent example um i was wondering if either of you could think of other examples of kind of collection programs or 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 upcycling programs but um and and i'm afraid i don't have to mind older ones i thought maybe i wanted to see if you guys did i think the, the big one here is uh is how to create value i i've seen those uh boots we do also have uh, a development here for bindings because it's plastic so you can chop it and then uh, repurpose it the main problem is that you don't have consistency out of it because it comes from different boots different plastic and and you can use it for products that do not need to bend or has no performance. Um, so it's really, very, very hard to, to, uh, to, uh, to use it. We tried to use it on a high back several years, but everything was breaking because there was no consistency. Um, and I think this is where the real tech shine is because um, it creates value and it, it does replace common triggers. And this, that's why I think it's, uh, it's unique today. Yeah, and I'd say um, not on the hard goods perspective, uh, but on the 
clothing, we do our re-up puffy, uh, takes feathers from pillows and, and, uh, down blankets or what have you. And, and so those are repurposed back into clothing. Uh, so it is, there's pieces of that. Uh, and we're obviously reset, you know, it's like a hundred percent of our, um, our fabric is made from recycled material, but it's, you know, as far as the full re-up scenario from a hard goods perspective, uh, I'm not aware of anything out there. So let's talk about, you, you've alluded to this a bit, but let's kind of play this out and play this forward. What you think the next, I don't know what your timelines look like, if we should be talking in terms of 12 months, 24 months, 36 months, or a bit more like two years, five years, 10 years. I know you've been having these conversations. Can you tell us a bit about what, maybe I ask you what the ideal vision would look like for this, where this all goes? Other than Jeremy um, saying no skis would be made anymore, everything would just be a snowboard no. now. <laughs> That's not that is not my vision. We love skiing. <laughs> my vision is taking old skis that have been mm. thoroughly oh. so no, no more life left in them. Yes. Oh. And turning those lifeless dead skis into new fresh snowboards. I thought you were gonna steal all the skis. Chop no, them no, up no. into cake slices. No. Okay, okay, that's less a lot less diabolical. Okay. So yeah, I would I would say first step, uh, which I think will take uh, about three years, uh, will be to uh, consider the supply with partners. Um, so mostly big resorts, uh, rentals, and shop, uh, because this is where we see the the biggest majority of uh, of the supply, on top of our own warranty and uh, factory third. Um, so this would say, I would say the first three, next three years is really the supply because we can go up, I would say 20,000, 30,000 snowboards easily with the process today. Now, if this is done, um, I think the, the process will need to be fine tuned to be more autom uh, automatic just because of the scale. And I think this is where we will also open it to, uh, to other brands or other factories to help us, um, to make it happen. So fast forward. Three, four years, I think maybe we are at 100,000 snowboards. Um, and this is where I think uh, it would be, a, uh, I mean, it, it would be a success <laughs> you want, but that's, that would be, I would say, the, the, the big success of it, that it comes a snowboard industry, or, um, all shops worldwide are participating, and, um, and we don't landfill anymore that much snowboards every year. And I think I've heard you say this, because you just said this is just the way that snowboards would be handled when it comes to end of life, and then also new construction would be handled. But but you're exactly. saying snowboard and skis. Yes. Sir. Yeah. Yeah. Today we focus only on the snowboard because we uh, it's what we know and our expertise. We know it could work on skis, uh, but today we really want to focus on the supply uh, and uh, and and of course if uh, we, we can scale it. Uh, it will also scale the, the R&D and everything behind to, uh, uh, to use it even more and then partner with uh, other factories. And then, so we're talking about, I think, again, things I think I've heard you allude to, or I just need more coffee. My apologies. You are already thinking about how to use these stringers in more of the board. 
as well as then how to implement these into more boards than, say, for now, just the Hovercraft 2.0? Yes, our goal is really to replace carbon stringers from drones because we see from our lifecycle assessment, this is really a very, very big footprint on our boards. We still need to use it because of the performance and, and the durability of it uh, for, for athletes, but we know we want to replace it as quick as possible. We have uh, make that possible. Um, so today, this is our goal. We use it today only on the nose, uh, but we have made prototype uh, with uh, stringers under the bindings uh, in the center. So uh, we can really play with it um, as carbon stringers anywhere on the snowboards. But it, you are talking about then truly the elimination of carbon? Because, yes, I mean, it's funny, right? If we think about the last 15 years, at least 15, I'll put that as the over under. When it comes to ski construction, mountain bike construction, snowboard construction, I mean, carbon stringers has been viewed as like, yo, look at this product. It's even higher performance given the use of carbon. So this actually, this is one of the first times, certainly in, I think, talking with a ski or snowboard manufacturer where I've heard a company say, we're actually going to try to walk that back. Given, given the footprints and, and side effects? Uh, yes, I, I would say today the industry uses carbon for two, two different categories. One is to get the boards as light as possible, and we use, it that, use that on the, on the speedboards. And this is where I would say it would be the most difficult to replace. The, the other way um, where we use carbon is on the solids, which are on the snowboards, like the Ultra Flagship, um, and those both. And this is where I think the, the REAP tech really perform. And the reason is very simple, and, and you also see it on very high-tech Alpine skis, is that a carbon layered flat at zero degree has amazing performance, but a fiberglass layered at 90 degree as REAP has much more performance. Today, if you check skis that are not even in the market, but uh, skis that are on Alpine competition, they do use carbon in between the wood core at 90 degrees. And this is what makes everything. Um, and this is where Reuptech makes it possible with, a, I would say, a simple process uh, to have these uh, stringers at, at 90 degrees. I think, remember the, uh, the ruler? Yeah. Take a ruler at home, bend it. Turn it 90 degree, bend it, and, and that's, I would say, the, the, the best way to, uh, to see it uh, and feel it. Uh. I want to zoom out real far now. Um, Jeremy, I think I have this right. You were just once again in Washington, D.C., yeah? So, and some of the conversations you and I have had in the past are blister speaker series and stuff like that. We're here talking about stringers and snowboards. We've also had conversations about we need massive scale change when it comes to things like energy grids and the rest. And so I would love to hear a little bit how you are thinking about this at Jones, right? We, that would, that would frankly be if, if we could, you know, snap our fingers and tomorrow our, our energy grids for cities and the rest, if we could change that, that would probably be one of the most quickly impactful things we could do 
Now we're talking about something where somebody listening to this might rightly be thinking like, wow, that's, this is real small stuff, right? In the, in the global scheme of things. So talk a little bit about how you all think about these realities. Um, I'll leave the question at that. Yeah. I mean, from a product perspective, it's, we're obviously, um, are hyper aware of the impacts of the products and continue to work on reducing those impacts every year. More importantly, uh, we need large scale systemic change to our, say, global systems um, to get the CO2 reduction needed to reduce the harshest effects of climate change. So that's why at Jones, um, 1% of our, we're part of 1% for the planet, which um, takes 1% of the sale of the board and puts it towards different efforts. Uh, for us, Protect Our Winners is, um, we donate there every year uh, to, you know, I see as my, you know, role at Protect Our Winners uh, firsthand, uh, the challenges that we face and the power of, you know, we need more and more people that get to wake up every day and help get us on this transition to cleaner energy. And that's, you know, PALS is one of many groups doing that. But, you know, so we're writing big checks towards employing people to fight for this climate, uh, clean energy transition. And then we also um, work with this uh, group, Community Carbon Trees. And that's a whole different topic as you get into you know, it's funny when I started Jones, I'm like, oh, we'll um, buy a board, plant a tree. And it was like, this is perfect. And uh, we were, and I, we just loved it and it was cheap and da, 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 da. And then I, so I started talking, um, finding what was the reputable, you know, the most reputable group. I'm like, so can I see the trees? What's the, the, you know, I started to really understand it. And they're like, well, it's really hard to do that. And, and so anyways, at Jones, um, our, this community carbon trees is all about regrowing, uh, rainforest, taking torched, um, you know, uh, gray, overly grazed lands that are void of nutrition and turning them back into rainforest and utilizing local help to do that. Uh, and it's $25 a tree. So it's not, we do not buy a board plant a tree. It's, uh, it's really expensive to grow, you know, there's 80 different trees in these rainforests. Um, but so that's a, the main thing with that is yes, it, it reduces carbon from the air, but it's, it's a program that now these bigger organizations and countries are looking at to try to replenish their, their torched overgrazed cowlands. And so at, at that side of things, then that, that, project is really exciting because this is cutting edge rainforest um, regrowing that's going on. Xavier, I'll put kind of the similar question to you, you know, looking at you guys make snowboards and snowboard equipment, right? There is something I think about, well, okay, if that's what you're in the business of, use best practices in your particular world right? To do things better or worse. That is an option everybody, each of us has in, in our everyday lives. 
then there's the whole big global sort of picture of things. But but so with this reaptech and and sort of upcycling boards, I don't know if you have one just your thoughts in general on the the kind of this almost philosophical question. But then there's also the question of two about um, I mean y'all have talked a lot and well about keeping products out of landfills. But I don't know, once we start moving into the world of measuring, right, where we're looking at emissions or reducing those, are are you all there yet already in terms of measured impacts of this? And, and uh, the last thing I'll say, I am a big believer in everything evolves. Everything takes t- time. You need to start taking steps forward. And people who don't recognize that I feel like haven't ever made anything in their lives. So tell us where we are and how, where you all are with this and how you're thinking about these rather big topics that we're, we're talking about now. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say today I, I, I can speak uh, uh, politics overall because I'm not, I'm not an expert into it, but today our goal is to evolve our industry because we are expert into it. So uh, today, we want as a brand to be on the, uh, on the better side of the history uh, here. And so this is where we take all the steps possible to change it. And I, I believe if other brands in all other industries do it, in the car industry and industry, then this is where it, it all happens. You know, I think it's uh, all industry that need to evolve. And, uh, you know, as an as example, we were, I think, one of the first to go 100% solar um, at our factory. We were. Uh, I think one of the first as well to go no varnish uh, because it was uh, uh, very chemical. We were one of the first to go with uh, uh, bio resin. So we really try to get to take the steps to uh, to evolve our industry. The LCA we did is public. It's on our website. Uh, we put everything how we made it. This we, we try to be as more transparent as possible so other brands can really see what we're doing and. I hope there is a bigger converse, conversation about those LCA because we did our best to do it. But as you said, it's still evolving, but we want other brands to do it, other factories to do it so we can all help us and, and, uh, and exchange results. So, um, so this is where, where I see it compared to the reuptake process. Uh, yes, we do uh, me- measure the carbon footprint of the reuptake process. Today, it's really as it starts, so it's, it's very difficult to get something public uh, just because uh, we, are, we are really running it. But today, from our measurement, if we take the footprint of a snowboard getting burnt or landfill, and then taking the, the, the footprint of a carbon stringers being made, today we buy it from the US, being made and shipped to our factory, compared to bringing back snowboards to our factory um, with very slow cargo, which has a small footprint. And the reuptake process is mostly only handmade. Um, uh, it's very small steps, handmade. And, and the only thing really that takes energy is, uh, is when we press the boards with water-based uh, glue. And that's really the only process behind it. So there, there is not big footprint behind it, except the shipping. Um, so we see it really as, as to replace carbon shrinkers and we and we take the footprint really compared to this. And, uh, and today we have better, a better footprint. But as I said, it, it will need more calculation. It's, it's only the first year. So we don't want to go public with this because also we don't want to see it as a greenwashing or anything. We really want to make sure 
and put a microscope on, on a bigger scope of, uh, of the Bureau of Tech. Yeah, I think the, you know, the radical transparency is um, really important. Um, and, and then, yeah, and trying to uh, share with the rest of the industry because we're collectively in this together. Um, and then another uh, thing, just that we're also another big step we've taken this year is um, we're the we just we're the first factory to uh, be fair trade certified, um, which is you know something we're very excited about as well. Yeah, say a bit more about what that means to be a fair trade certified factory. Um, so I, th I think the biggest one here where we did reuptake it and also our boards, uh, we did big steps and uh, and the last step we really wanted to uh, we wanted to do is really for the workers. Um, so today we are we've been audited this summer by by Fair Trade. Um, we passed it, green light everywhere. There was nothing nothing uh, uh, happening. I mean we know it because we visit we visit the factory every two three months. We have a very close partnership, but we wanted this Fair Trade certification um, for a, a big reason is because uh, Fair Trade does uh, an audit every year just to really check uh, wages everything and at on top of it, uh, Jones will pay annually um, um, uh, a fee for every snowboard made to a community development fund. So it's a fund that is uh, um, um, at the factory, handled by the by the workers, and this fund can be used for employee education, childcare, healthcare. So it's really a, a big, big step towards it. And uh, and today, to know that Reuptech is made 100% solar. Um, with no chemicals and also with employees that is that has this fair trade uh, audit and certification is a big big step. Turns out we got all kinds of ways where we can continue to sort of do better. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. It doesn't exactly. really it's seem everywhere. to end. Um, no. more to do. Um, hey, this this one is is switching gears quite a bit, but I mean we're we're talking about issues of just sustainability and climate change and and all the rest um something has come up in the news uh very recently and i just yesterday i guess recorded a conversation uh, one of our reviewing the news conversations that i have with cody townsend um he and i just spoke yesterday so the conversation you and i that we're all having right now this will come up uh come out on friday our reviewing the news podcast will have posted the the previous Monday, but I think Jeremy, while you're here, uh, and because this has been such a hot topic, um, there has been this stuff with sort of fists and protect our winners. And, um, basically the punchline on some of this is Cody and I found ourselves very much in the protect our winners camp of, Hey, fists, um, let's be more transparent. Let's be open to re-evaluating certain practices maybe when you're holding certain competitions and the rest but i wanted to give you a, a minute to kind of talk about this and see get some of your thoughts on this and a big component of this uh which in a way i think is unfortunate you know protect our winners put out an image talking about these issues these legitimate issues where it turns out a photo was used of some excavators tearing apart a glacier to
to try to get courses ready so that, you know, and, and as it, we're being told, right, so that a, a race is going to be happening in October. This photo, it turns out, was from 2019, and this generated a lot of, um, well, some uproar and got some people thinking about, was it, was it fine for Protect Our Winners to use this older photo? Was that not the best way to go? Did it open the door to sort of needless criticism? Anyway, uh, speaking to the guy who started this whole Protect Our Winners movement, do you, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, first off, I think it's great people are talking about climate change. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's nice. Um, this, yeah, I guess the, you know, this came out of Protect Our Winners Switzerland. I guess speaking specifically to the photo, uh, I think there should have been clarity that that was an older photo. But that photo that we now have, um, it came to our attention from, new photography from this race that we it took a couple days to get rights to that photo which is now released online and it looks exactly like the 2019 yeah. photo so it wasn't as if we were showing something that was not happening it's just we should have said 2019 on uh that's fine but it's exact that photo depicts exactly what's happening today our efforts protect our winners switzerland you know started it um but in out of um you know outcry from fis athletes so this is driven mm -hmm. from fis athletes yeah. protect our winners uh you know really is a represents this outdoor community uh winter sports community work a lot with professional athletes so when they come together and i think 500 fis athletes sign this petition to say you can do better yep fis yeah we're happy to deliver that letter on behalf of protect our winners yep yeah i i got it i i wish i could just go back into very uh the very uh recent past because that's I, I think it if that image just said this image was 2019. These practices are, are ab, the exact same practices are happening right now. You know, um, I think that could have just, um, re alleviated or, um, dissipated, preempted any of the like, wait a second, what's going on here? And I think, you know, my take on this is this is not going to, this is a little blip. And I, I think even today, I think just today, we're recording this on Friday, October 27th, a video with Michaela Schifrin and Alexander Kilda just came out talking about their support, you know, in this. And I think that stuff is fantastic. And, um, you know, Jeremy, I've, I've told you this at our speaker series, but, you know, your legacy is not going to be Joan Snowboards or being one of the best people to ever you know, strap on a snowboard, it is absolutely having the nerve and the stupidity and the courage to start this movement where you're just getting shot at by a lot of people. But if you look at what has been done um, since you started this, um, it is really powerful. And um, uh, I, I'll use this as an opportunity to say once again, like, well done. And um, for the critics, um, 
that's fine. We 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 were t- we kind of started today's conversation before we hit record talking about constructive criticism is something we all need in our lives. Without it, we are all going to be lesser than. But I think the the movement that you started and that we are still seeing today, none of us are perfect, but the needle is being moved. And yeah, shout out to those FIS uh, racers who have signed on. And um, it's really cool to hear whether we're talking about how snowboards are manufactured or how we're galvanizing a community to like be heard, right? And put the weight of our values behind some of these things. Um, it all ends up being pretty connected, I think. And um, yeah, but uh, so anyway, I appreciate you getting well, getting your I, take on this. I appreciate that. Um I find it ironic that all of a sudden there's an uproar about a, a photo that is not labeled um, correctly, and there's not uproar over the uh, inaction on serious climate action. And, you know, I've been deeply involved in this since 2008, um, worked, with, worked with dozens of scientists. I've never heard a scientist say the issue is not as bad as we thought it was. Um, and yeah, critics will be critics, but I, I think it's what is important is, you know, what are the odds of um, us on this call or listening that in whether it's five years, 10 years, 20 years that we look back and go, man, I think we took this climate stuff too, too serious. serious. Yeah. I'm glad I, I, why did I put myself out there? I got bad comments on this app called Instagram that people used to take so serious. Um, and it's just, I'm, yeah, I've moved, you know, my intentions are pure. They're backed by science. And, um, and quite frankly, my job is revolves around um i have a job because of the support of the outdoor community they show up and watch the movies that gave me um a job as a professional snowboarder that allowed me to uh start a snowboard company the customers have shown up and bought those products uh so for me not to utilize that opportunity when i know the very uh livelihood of of winter and and much more than that is at stake would be a huge disservice to that opportunity just the other day i hope he'd be okay with me saying this um i was talking to james fairbank who is the global marketing director for atomic and you know atomic uh just this last month put on this climate summit and he and I were talking a bit about that, talking about how it went. And, um, you know, there's, first of all, greenwashing, right? This is a term that, um, that needs to be eradicated. Any companies that are kind of faking it for the sake of trying to get sustainability points or credibility, that's a, that's a shitty thing to do. But one of the, and so one of the things is like, as we, as I try to keep all of these things kind of in balance in my own brain thinking about the 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 massive macro changes that we need to see happen again coming back to maybe today's example of like wow we're talking about little stringers 
But one of the things that James said to me this week that I thought was really, really compelling is if those of us in the snow sports industry aren't out there at the forefront of these things and trying to do things in the best possible way, coming together as a global community to influence legislatures to to get to better practices, he's like, if we just stay quiet, we run the risk as an industry of having people look at us and just being like, you all are, first of all, on the wrong side of history. You have your heads buried in the sand. What are you doing? And um, I thought that was one powerful and on the whole, like, well, okay, there's another company, you know, located wherever they're located and maybe they're working to take the next step forward. And maybe that doesn't look like a very big thing in the scheme of things. But James's reminder that we need to collectively, anybody who cares about snow sports, works in snow sports, recreates on snow, we do actually need to come together and sort of be at the forefront of some of this because nobody's out there talking about, actually, we're going to be seeing more snow, you know, down the line, right? Like, this is going a certain direction. And I, anyway, I shout out to James for like, uh, are, are very articulately giving me me kind of that reminder about why this stuff matters, the conversations matters, and for each of us in our own little world to try to find some of the best practices on this stuff, because the collective the collective um, outcome of all of that is something that one its best practices and for the rest of the world looking at us, why don't we care more than anybody else about these things? Yeah, I mean, that's really uh, great to hear him say that. We've been, that's what we've been trying. It's infuriating at Protect Our Winners back when we had trade shows. You could walk a trade show and it was sustainable this and we plant this tree and we do this. And I remember one trade show in particular, we were going to DC to fight for climate policy and going around booth to booth to booth to booth. Hey, we want to, um, you know, bring this to your senator. You represent a ton of jobs there. He votes against any and all climate policy. Uh, will you sign on and and say you want to see real climate policy? And they go, no, 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 we don't get political. And um, mm. and it and quite frankly, it's with FIS. Um, sure, they it's great. They are working on their carbon footprint and everything. But you're talking about the biggest. Um, you know, competitive group, probably you know, arguably the most powerful group in winter sports that has the ability to shape policy and does not does doesn't do anything with that power that they have. That's what we really want out of FIS and uh, and at protect our winners. We you know our goal is to unify the outdoor state and. You know, it's in the U.S. alone, it's 50 million people, $850 billion um, that make up the outdoor state, which is far bigger than the gun industry. And it, but we're divided. The outdoor state is, uh, you know, over half of the outdoor state votes for elected officials that vote against any and all climate action. And, that's not okay. In my, where I live here, 
No question. The biggest employee, the biggest economic driver is the outdoor industry. There's nine resorts here. We are represented in Congress. Our one representative that we have for this area votes against any and all climate action, and we let them do that. Uh, and there's never been a politician that's lost a job due to a shitty vote on climate policy. And we know we're not getting there without climate policy. So at Protect Our Winners, we fight hard to find common ground um, and and unite around climate action. And the ultimate goal is to get to a point where you can vote, stay in your political party and, and be able to vote for climate policy. But that so far, that has not happened. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it, you know, it's truly about we need to unite around this issue and become singular, single issue voters, because I can tell you the kids being born today, they are really going to care about um, what we did or didn't do for climate. The world we're leaving them. Well, gentlemen, that was a wide ranging conversation. Back to re-up for a sec. Hovercraft 2.0s, are these available? They can be seen, fondled, ogled, purchased, ridden. Production on these is done. You're still making some of these. What, what, are, we, what are we at? Where are we at, Xavier? Um, so, production is done. Uh, mostly everything is in shop right now. So, uh, they are made to be ridden. It has a whole new shape and other technologies as well. So, uh, yes, it's... Uh, it's right now uh, everywhere worldwide um, and ready to go on snow. Okay. Um, and and remember when you ride it, when you are riding it, it has the the React Tech fingers on it, and it has part of six other snowboards that could be a Jones one, it could be on other brand or anything, and this gets your performance out of, out of the nose though. Hmm. So think how happy that new stringer is to not be in a landfill right. you just look down yeah. at that board yeah. and you're like how happy it is to be back on snow ripping around the mountain it's like <laughs> snowboard reincarnation yeah yeah and just just maybe to come back on your comment regarding the baby steps of of sometimes of maybe the uh not this because it's not a baby one but i had kind of the same thought when we started to uh to implement technologies on, on drones uh, but today it's always small steps but then when you see it 10 years after it's massive and maybe the one example would be uh, the recycled abs that we use where it might be a, a small one but today when when we see it back that we use since 10 years recycled abs it is more than a million of meters that 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 is made in recycled and at virgin so it's really small step everywhere, but when you look back after, it's uh, it, you see it as a bigger step. I've I've mentioned this before in some past podcasts, but have you guys seen the movie Shawshank Redemption? Have you ever seen this, Xavier? <laughs> no, I don't think. <laughs> Should I? I'm about to spoil the movie. Let's just say that movie. I I I find myself this. I remember this from this film. It pops up a lot. And, and everything you just said, Xavier, reminded me of it once again. But the power of a spoon. Let me just say that. The power of a spoon and what you can do with a spoon given enough time. Um, I think about that a lot. And um, 
you know, again, greenwashing is something we should continue to work to just absolutely eradicate in snow sports and, and, and every industry. That said, the power of a spoon and going to work every single day with the right intentions and thinking hard about best practices and what can we do better, that adds up. And, um, you know, and there, there is power in that. And, and that requires vision, right? That requires vision and commitment. And, um, here's, here's hoping that we all remember that. And we are energized by that thought. And yeah, maybe I'll just say the power of a spoon because big things can happen. So, yeah. Uh, well, I watched the movie. Watch the movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I want, you need to, I'll let you close this out with explaining the spoon because I love the movie and I don't know the spoon. Uh, but I will just say greenwashing is um, in many ways a first step to real action. So I think it's out of, um, the, you know, people trying to do the right thing. Uh, they overclaim something, their audience hears from them and it leads to, it, it can really lead to re- you either run the other way and never mention the word, um, environment right. again, That's or right. you go, wow, we need, we can't just do some single product fancy ad campaign or whatever. Um, you know, we got to, really bake this into the DNA of our company or um, our audience is going to kill us. Uh, so it's like, I'm okay with that kind of first step and, and um, cause it ideally leads to getting on the right path. You can't greenwash forever. Um, it'll catch up to you. It'll catch up to you. Gentlemen, thank you for this conversation. Uh, Jeremy, it's always good to connect. Xavier, good to meet you for the first time. And, uh, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's cool what you're doing. I look forward to seeing this program develop and expand. And uh, thank God I'm getting into snowboarding this year when Jeremy's about to steal all the skis and chop them up into re-up, re-up <laughs> cake. Um, so. Make one, huh? We, we, we might make one for you uh, with, uh, with whiskeys inside it. <laughs> that could be a good one. <laughs> okay. All right. I would, I would take that. By the way, selfishly, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a very privileged position here, uh, never having been on a snowboard. But I, I should just ask, you know, a guy named Xavier Nidecker and, and Jeremy Jones, <laughs> like, so as I start to collect information and do my own homework, what would be the Jones board that a never ever like myself should get on? Yeah, it's uh, not something you would think about, but it's the um, mind expander. And what you have going on there is what I've learned uh, by putting beginners on a lot of different boards is, and I should say, it's not just the mind expander, but um, the having a shorter tail when you're learning is really helpful to kind of say, clear the tail in a turn where it's not sticky and like inhibiting your ability to quickly go from to, you know, toe edge or heel edge or vice versa. Um, so yeah, kind of that tapered, uh, smaller tail board, um, you know, with, you don't want full camber. Um, so something, whether it's a mix of what we call, cam rock which is camber and rocker or rocker um is a nice way to place to start yeah 
you're also allowed to say, hey, man, we're not really making products for never evers. We're kind of more in the middle to elite end of things. Is that a fair characterization or no? No, I mean, our well, I, I guess we put a lot of attention in our kid line, but um, I think that fun, playful, easy to ride product is, I love that. Um, and my whole goal on the mountain is, I have, you know, we make boards that will get you back into lift line as fast as possible, which seems like the central focus of 90% of the skiers out there is just like, how can I get back <laughs> in this lift line as fast as possible? Um, and we make that, uh, but we also make product that, yeah, it does, it, it, the sweet spot of that product is between 10 and 25 miles an hour where you want to get uh, the most out of every little piece of terrain on that mountain and really enhance the mountain in a playful manner. Okay. I, uh, I kind of want to shoot a video of me on a Jones flagship just to make you really mad, Jeremy, because we've talked about, <laughs> we've talked about people just picking like the elite expert badass chargers and uh that i would do that except i'd be worried about getting hurt um so i, I probably won't but I, I i also might do it just to kind of make you real angry and you have know, your head as, as crazy as it sounds um you know that board the nose um has got so much float that it you know you can kind of slarve that or smear that board quite easy so it's actually that board surprisingly um you know slarving around a low angle groomer is pretty easy to do where these bit you know when you start say putting it on rail that's going to want to just really take you down the hill and so your ability for an intermediate rider to say make round arcing turns on a flagship that's hard as far as I like to go straight and just like hockey stop my way right and okay. left down the hill. Board works great. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, I, it's probably going to take me a day or two till, till I'm like fully laid over carving, you know, like the photos I see of you. So probably like day two or three, I'm, I'm guessing then I'll be there. But, um, no, I, I, I don't actually believe that at all. But, um, <laughs> Well, Justin Bob's your guy. You need someone to help you. Uh, there's no one better than him. So shout out to him. Uh, start small. Embrace terrain progression. Yes. Um, I, I just had Justin on last week's Gear 30 podcast, and we were talking about that. He is going to be there with me on day one. So that is, he's also a paramedic, which I think is really, a really probably a helpful thing for me, uh, you know, for day one, but uh, no, looking forward to uh, getting getting on a board with him. That that's like a real long time coming, and it'll be great to get out there with an old friend. So anyway, gentlemen, um, appreciate the time and the conversation. Um, keep up the good work, and uh, look forward to checking in again to to get an update on how it's all going and and what else you might be working on. So yeah, till the next time. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. Appreciate Thanks. It. All right, guys. All right. Well, it is now time for our weekly crashes and close calls segment. And here's the situation, folks. I am recording this part on Thursday, November 2nd at 1221 p.m. I am supposed to leave my house in nine minutes to head to Boston 
to the Snowbound Expo this weekend. Uh, I'm not done packing. I really could stand to take a shower. So I'm going to keep this one pretty quick this week. Let's see. I had a Blister member write in recently talking about another person, a friend of theirs in their mountain town community who just put up another GoFundMe campaign after a fairly significant mountain bike accident. Um, folks, this would have been another case where if this person had our Blister Plus injury insurance coverage, they would have been covered for 100% of their costs because, as I hope you all know by now, the way that our Blister Plus injury insurance works is Blister Plus members get up to $25,000 per incident to cover medical bills, any kind of medical treatment. If it is required, that $25,000 can go toward ambulance rides or backcountry evacuations. Frankly, it just continues to break my heart to hear about these stories where if someone had our Blister Plus coverage, they wouldn't need to be they wouldn't need to be trying to crowdsource funds for their medical treatment. So seriously, folks, this is a big deal. I want you and I want to encourage you once again, first of all, think through this. If you don't have health insurance right now, please go sign up for Blister Plus right now before you get hurt skiing or snowboarding or doing anything on a bicycle, basically, uh, or trail running or fishing. There's a lot of activities that are covered. All those details will be in the link that we have in the show notes of this episode. Second thing, if you are fortunate enough to have health insurance, go find out right now what your deductible is, because that's really the whole deal. Because if something happens to you and you still have to go pay out of your own pocket $6,000 or $8,000 or $12,000, well, this Blister Plus insurance that is 12 months of coverage for $395 for an entire year, for, for an entire 12 months of coverage, well, it's just a math problem. And we want you to be covered because things happen out there. Like, who knows? Maybe when you go snowboarding for the first time. Hmm. I'm glad I have Blister Plus. All right, folks, I'm going to get out of here. Thanks so much to Jeremy and Xavier for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And thanks to all of you for listening. And thanks even more to those of you who have left a rating or review. You all are heroes. But thanks in advance to the last 75 of you who are going to bring us across the finish line. And... Uh, the next blister crash course video i'm excited to make it i don't know it's probably going to be sort of like watching a car crash video that's what i imagine but that's you know we all know you can't look away from a car crash right so let's get this done let's make this happen and i will talk to you real soon <laughs>